process that I have gone through uh, several hundred times uh, in recent years is starting a fire. Uh, I don't know about you, but how many of you would say that you are professional fire starters? Go ahead, raise your hand on both campuses. Yeah. Uh, So you might be like, well, what do you mean by that? So I live on a bunch of land in which uh, was uninhabited for many, many years, which means that we have bulldozed trees, cut trees. We have uh, started so many stacks of, uh, of wood over the years. I would say that we've probably, in some form or fashion, started a couple hundred fires over the last about five or six years. And I personally think that I've gotten really good at it, okay? And so what I mean by that is that uh, I'm convinced if you give me um, a match, just a match, uh, I, can, I can light any fire pretty much on our place. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to claim that I'm a Boy Scout or an Eagle Scout or I can do something with Flint or something like that. Uh, what I am saying is, is that uh, I enjoy the process of watching things burn. And to this date, I have not burned anything I didn't plan to burn, uh, which is to God be the glory. Uh, now, the purpose of me telling you this is that oftentimes to start a fire, um, it's a process. And, and oftentimes the fires that we all think about, the ones that are sitting out in the middle of a pasture, the ones that you burned on homecoming night, uh, were ones that uh, if you didn't have uh, some diesel or gasoline or something to help ignite it, probably wouldn't have started The types of fires I'm talking about uh, are not adding a bunch of things to it, but that you would just start small. And so the way you do that is you begin with just what we call kindling, just small twigs and and ultimately a handful of leaves and and one match, and that you would begin to build on on top of that. And really uh, what Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus uh, is this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And what's incredible about this is that there's a progression in the prayer. And the progression is ultimately uh, the desire of Paul uh, to help the church in Ephesus to realize what it looks like to understand the fullness of God. And he's going to use the word uh, in, in the Greek, the pleroma of God, the fullness, the, the entire presence of God in our lives, and which ignites something in us which is really big. And for so many of us in this room, we go, yeah, I want that. I want God to do ignite something in me that's really big. And I want people to see God using me. And I want to be the hands and feet of his body. Uh, but how does that happen? And in verse uh, 20 of Ephesians chapter 3, which we're going to look at in a second, uh, Paul goes, my prayer is that God would do immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine in your life. And when you think about that, and oftentimes you'll hear somebody even pray that, like, Lord, would you do more than we could ask or imagine? The question is, is how does that happen? And Lord, how do we get you to move with that type of power and that type of vibrancy in our lives? How do I understand that? And I would just say that it's a process. It's a process of being able to to grow up in conformity with God and ultimately he has a desire to begin somewhere in your life and then build upon that. And the question is, is how does it happen? Well, I'm thankful that Paul outlines that through his prayer to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to jump right into uh, the prayer. Paul uh, is writing to the church of Ephesus, uh, a church that is in the epicenter of a pagan culture. Uh, Ephesus is really, at that time, one of the seven wonders of the world. They have a huge temple to Artemis. Uh, her off, she had oftentimes to be called Diana as well. Uh, there is pagan uh, worship. There is 
um, all types of impurity uh, that are, is taking place in that culture. And Paul is writing to this church uh, that was uh, established in Acts chapter 18 and 19 uh, at the hands of a, uh, Aquila and Priscilla and says, hey, we want you to be faithful. And, and they apparently are that. They are a church that is, um, seems to be rocking on sil- all cylinders, seems to be making a difference for the cause of the gospel. Uh, they are letting their light shine. Uh, according to Ephesians chapter 3, that even the cosmos would be paying attention uh, to what's happening in that church. And Paul goes, look, I, I want you to continue to do that. I want you to be all that God has, has called you to be. And up in these three chapters so far, Paul has given them tons of theological ramifications for their faith, but he has not given them one prohibition and he hasn't given them one command. All he's done is just outline what it looks like to know Jesus, to know his grace, the surpassing knowledge of his will, to grow in him, to be conformed to him, to live in his grace, that salvation's found in him, that God would take two groups of people, uh, Ultimately, a Jewish nation and anybody else, uh, regardless of where they come from, nation, tribe, and tongue, what's called Gentiles, and he would bring them together, that anyone could have faith in Jesus Christ, and that's where we are. And so then he's going to close out this portion before he gives an application that's practical in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which we'll dive into next week. He goes, let me just pray for you. And he prays the second prayer in this book. Paul prays five prayers in all of his letters to the various churches. He prays two uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. Uh, he prays for the church in Colossae and Colossians, prays for the church in Philippi, and he also prays uh, in Second uh, Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica. And so two of these prayers in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and this is what it says beginning in verse 14. He says, "'For this reason I bow my knees before the Father.'" from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you might be rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so here it is, this prayer that's laid out. And so I pray uh, that just as he did um, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, that our hearts might be enlightened uh, to what the Lord would have us to see today. Let's pray and let's just ask God as we dive in uh, this morning to show us what he desires. Heavenly Father, we give you this morning to you. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, that it captivates our heart, our mind. Um, Lord, that you move us from being just intellectual beings who read this and discover this to ultimately, God, that you would move us to something deep and spiritual that we would have a faith step in our lives today as a result of this text, that this prayer might not just be one found um, in the day and the times of the Ephesians, but ultimately it would be a prayer that we would seek to live out in our own lives. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and, Lord, that you would illuminate uh, and help us to have a comprehension, the opportunity to seize hold of this today for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And so Paul says, hey, it's for this reason um, that I'm going to bow before the king of all kings for you. And so uh, what he's saying is, he goes, look, I have suffered for your glory. Ephesians 3, verse 1 and 13. He goes, I have, I have been a prisoner of the gospel. I am a servant of the king. Uh, I am, um, I, I am a, a minister for God on your behalf. And so you may think that I'm a prisoner of Rome writing to you because, listen, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of King Jesus. I'm a bondservant, a slave to him. And I write to you, even in the midst of my suffering, for your glory. So at the end of the day, he goes, I, I write so that praise might come from your life. And the word he uses there, glory, in verse 13, uh, is the word doxa, which is literally where we, at the end of church service growing up, would sing uh, a hymn of doxology, a praise. And uh, it was just praising God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, that regardless of what it is that's going on in our lives, that we would give God praise. And so Paul says, look, it's for this reason, in my suffering, for your glory, for the good of God in your life, that I write to you so that you might grow. I'm bowing my knees today before the Father on behalf of you. So he goes, I want you to know that I am bowing before God and before God on behalf of and then he uses the word every family in heaven. And uh, that word there in the Greek is the word just pos, which could be um, like a, a single person or, or it could even be a multiple of. And so the, the idea is for every person or the whole person. So the idea that you would read that, he goes, I'm bowing my knee before the Father from whom the entire family in heaven, the whole family. He goes, all nations, tongues, peoples, everyone in heaven and on earth is named. So he goes, I don't know what you think about heaven, but he goes, I want you to realize that heaven is made up, and he gives you the same theme that he's been working on. It's of Jew and Gentile. He goes, it is slave and free. It's male, it's female, that we're all one in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I, I was sharing this with the, the, the service previous to this one, is that oftentimes I think us here in, in rural Bible Belt, East Texas community, we kind of limit what we think heaven is. I mean, many of us haven't gotten past the fact that Jesus wasn't white. We haven't got past the fact that Jesus wasn't Caucasian, and we hadn't gotten the fact that, past that, that ultimately God is going to save people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. Different faiths, different belief systems in the sense. At the end of the day, that there's going to be people there that we would have never thought. Because what we think of heaven is ultimately me and my family and a handful of people that I'm friends with, which typically look like me, think like me, and act like me. But heaven is far more than that. And so what Paul is just beginning, he goes, look, I am bowing before the Father in heaven on behalf of the entire church, all the global body, every single person, Gentile, you know, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, woman. He goes, we are all one in Christ Jesus, which is something that is difficult for us to perceive and understand. He goes, that's where we, the basis of this is. And then he goes, I'm praying according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so he goes, I'm praying that you and I would understand the riches of his glory. And the riches there is the idea uh, there in the Greek. It's the word plutos, which literally means um, that you would get all that God has. That, that he wouldn't just kind of um, 
dole out a handful of things out of his pocketbook, that he would go, hey, here's a little bit of change. But ultimately, that when we come to the Father and we're in the presence of him, that we have all of his riches at our disposal. And so when you see Paul write this time and time again, it is the riches, the plutos of God, that you would have all of him, all of his wealth, all of his riches, all the abundance of God at your disposal as a believer. And so Paul goes, look, I'm bowing, I'm bending my knees before you, before the God of heaven and earth, in which everything derives its authority from him. And I'm doing that on behalf of you, that you might understand the riches of his glory, that you would understand the, the, who he is and what he has for you so that he would grant you strength in your inner being. And so this is kind of the process, the inner being. And so uh, the inner being is our soul. Matter of fact, that word in the Greek literally just means soul. Uh, a, a good idea or indication of that where you can understand the difference is 2 Corinthians 4. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and in verse 16 and 17, he just says, Hey, therefore, we don't lose heart, but though... Our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So what he's saying is, he goes, listen, when we think about ourselves, we ought to think of ourselves in terms of, of two different aspects. He goes, there's the outer man, which is wasting away. It's our bones, it's our flesh, it's often the thing that will lead us astray, but yet God is trying to strengthen the ESO, the soul, the inner man of a person, day by day. Every day, though we face trials and suffering of many kinds, James 1, we should consider it pure joy. Why? Because God is using the light and momentary affliction, 2 Corinthians 4, to develop us in the inner being. And so God desires that we become strong people and that our souls are in line with him, that he saved us as a whole person, but that outwardly we're wasting away. This body, this tent, the tabernacle, so to say, is perishing. But what God is doing with us in our soul is imperishable. It will never fade. It will never, um, it will never go away, Peter says. And so the idea of that is that we would be God's man or woman and that ultimately he would strengthen us in the inner being. And the question is, is okay, why? Like, why would he begin this, this little framework? Why does he want to kindle this little fire in our lives? Why does he want to start something in the inner being? And then Paul goes, because it's a process. And so look at the process. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So in, for Christ to be able to dwell in your hearts through faith, he goes, I've got to strengthen you in your inner being. And so he goes, I've got to get uh, you, I've got, I've got to indwell your soul, but ultimately as I indwell you, he goes, I want that your hearts might be developed through faith. And so here's the idea. He uses this word dwell in the Greek, uh, which is this, this word, kato uh, oikeo, which literally means um, to dwell with permanence. You can have the word oikeo, which literally means just to dwell, uh, but it's not with a, a permanent residence. So think about oikeo, you oftentimes dwell. You go on a vacation, you'll have a structure in which you dwell, you stay for a time, and then you leave. Or perhaps maybe you've been in here and you've rented a house before, you will inhabit that house, oikeo, for a time. But what's crazy about it is you limit, you limit yourself, oikeo, with a time and even with authority. So think about like as a renter, you might be able to paint the front door, you might be able to place a shrub or two, but they're not going to let you redo all the landscaping. They're not going to let you paint every room in the house. They're going to limit you and your authority. 
But when you, uh, when you dwell the house, and the word that you see here that, that Paul uses, that it means that you dwell with permanence. And so what Jesus says, he goes, I desire to strengthen you in your inner being, and I want to dwell in you with permanence. So think about this. Jesus goes, I don't want to just paint a room. I want to knock down walls. I want to clean out entire rooms of your life. And so think about, that's what he's saying. He goes, look, if you want God to get to verse 20, where he's doing measurably more than you could ask or think or even imagine, if you want God's fullness to to ultimately light up the entire universe in your life, you want people to be able to see what God's doing around you, he goes, you want that? He goes, it doesn't start with the big flame. He goes, it starts down here with the kindling. It begins with the inner man, and then ultimately it's God's dwelling in you that begins to matter. And the more that God dwells with permanence in you, then the more that he can begin to ultimately settle. And the word there, when you look at it in the Greek, it doesn't mean just to dwell with permanence, but the other part of the word is to dwell with permanence and then to settle down. So the idea of that is that Jesus ultimately wants to settle down in our souls. He wants to rest just as we would find our rest in him. So think about this. One of the best examples I could think of uh, just in the, in the New Testament, you've got two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus is uh, there at their house. They're the sisters of a guy named Lazarus who, uh, Lazarus, uh, who dies, and uh, they panic. Uh, but during the time that Jesus is with Mary and Martha, uh, one of them is scurrying about. That's, that's Martha, and she's going to and from. She's wor- working and doing all the things, and Mary is resting at the feet of Jesus. But the problem is, is that eventually Martha complains to Jesus, and it's like, hey, Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to get up and help me? And Jesus is what? He's like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want her up doing what you're doing. I'm content that she is resting at my feet. And that's the idea that Jesus wants, in a sense, to settle down and abide with us and us with him. That's what John 15 really is. When you think about abiding, which is one of the core values in some of our groups, uh, in, in our journey groups, abiding with Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 15, he goes, I am the vine, you are the branch. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from you, you can do nothing. And what Jesus is trying to say here, he goes, look, I want to strengthen you in your inner being and I want to dwell in you in such a way that I settle down. But the problem is, and so, so many of us, leaning with me, we don't allow God to settle down in our lives because we're always chasing something else in our lives. So like for so many of us right now, Jesus hadn't sat down. You've been a believer in him for a decade, and Jesus hadn't sat down and, and ultimately been able to settle down in your life because he's still trying to clean out the library that you've developed in the first 25 years of your life. And so he's just trying to clean out all of the impure thoughts that you have in your mind. He's still trying to to work through that library and all the things that are seated here in the mind. Which is why Paul says, hey, I I pray that God would guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's got to be cleaning out. For some of us in here, he just needs to go into the kitchen. And he just begins to do a workover on the things that we put in our body. Uh, The things that that oftentimes we don't even think anything of. That we might even think, oh, God's got us in mind and everything else is good. But then we stand up in front of people and we tell them how to live the Christian life. And we don't even have a charge over the things that we put in our body. Because we don't think it's that big of a deal. And so God goes, no, Jesus wants to to get in the kitchen. And he's trying to clean some things out there. For some of you, it's in the living room. It's the things that you allow in to the epicenter of your home. The relationships that come and go. For some of you, um, it's... 
It's that closet that's kind of hidden, and, and that nobody else, you stuff all the stuff in the closet, and you, you kind of got stuff that you're like, hey, you can, have, you can have my mind and the library, you can, have my, you can have my living room, and you can have all these other things, you just can't have that closet. And, and at the end of the day, what Jesus wants to do is go, no, when you will give me everything, when you give me permission to dwell, to settle down, I can knock down any wall I want to knock down in the home, and I take up permanent residence here, and I am in full control and have authority in your life, then he goes, I will begin to manifest myself in a way in your life that other people can radically see. But the challenge is what Paul is trying to say. He goes, many people in the Christian faith never experience the fullness of God. You never get to see the things that the disciples were talking about or what Jesus said, hey, even greater works will you do than I did because of the fact that we won't even let Jesus settle down in our lives. Right now, he's scurrying here and there trying to clean things up, and, and we, we just won't let him have it all. And that's, I think, honestly, one of the challenges of the Christian faith is so many of us, are not being strengthened through the inner man because we're still chasing all the desires of the outer man. And Paul says in Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit, he goes, you cannot enjoy all the things the flesh has and also live in the Spirit. And so what Paul is trying to help uh, this church in Ephesus see, he goes, look, I want you to be strengthened in the inner man and I want you to know that God desires to dwell in you with permanence and to settle down in you in a way that manifests itself to the glory of God. So that, and, and so the question is, is so what? So that your hearts are strengthened in faith and that you would what? Be rooted and grounded in love. So he goes, I want to root you and ground you. And when you think about rooted and grounded, uh, he uses two different terms there. One of them is uh, rooted. This is just a horticultural term, which literally means in the Greek, just to strike root. It literally means um, to, to put roots down deeply. The other one, he's going to use an architectural term there, and that architectural term is to be grounded, meaning it's the sure foundation. It's the same idea in Matthew chapter 7. You can build your house on a sand, or you can build it on a, a solid foundation of Jesus Christ. He goes, I want to build it on a sure-footed foundation, something that's rooted deeply. It's kind of the idea of Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Uh, Paul would say it to the church in Colossae this way. He says, hey, um, just as you receive Christ as Lord, can you live in him? Be rooted and built up, strengthen your faith as you've been taught, overflowing with thankfulness. The idea is the overflow of our lives comes out of our rooted and built up foundation. And so Paul goes, okay, you should be rooted and built up. And so here's the thing. Listen to me. We think as believers oftentimes that we should be rooted and built up and then we go, but what should I be rooted and built up in? And we think, oh, I ought to be rooted and built up in my theology. I ought to know more theology or I ought to have more scripture memory or I ought to be able to have more knowledge on a particular subject or I ought to be able to do this by now. And what's interesting is, is he goes, I want to strengthen your inner man so that Jesus dwells in you with permanent residence and he settles down in your life so that your hearts are strengthened and that you are rooted and grounded. And then he says, in your theology, in your giving. No, he goes, in your love. In your love. See, one of the challenges I think that we have as a church or the church, the body of Christ, is that because of our limited framework of who we see Jesus as, as we see heaven as, the church as, the global body as, because it all kind of comes down to white Caucasians, we have a difficult time loving people who are different than us. 
And what Jesus is trying to say, he goes, I want to strengthen the inner man in such a way that I take up permanent residence, that you are built up, that you are grounded, and that you love people who are not like you. And that you realize, and ultimately the next verse, is that you're able to comprehend what that love looks like. And so that's what his goal is. And so he goes, that you may be able to comprehend. So he goes, you should be rooted, and ultimately that you should be grounded in love for what reason? So that you may have strength to comprehend. To comprehend. And you go, well, what do you mean, comprehend? And, and he uses the word there, catalabano, um, which literally means to seize hold of. So Paul says uh, in Philippians 3, he goes, hey, I'm pressing on. I seize hold of what lies ahead, not looking back, but I press on towards the goal of heavenly things ahead. And the idea of lay hold is to catalambano, which is to seize, is to grab. So you think carpe diem, seize the day. Here, Paul goes, look, I want you to have this process, the process of a kindling that's lit, that's stoked, that ultimately grows. And as that fire grows, so does the light that shines brightly. He goes, it's the same way in your faith. Think of it like this. God indwells you as the believer. As he, as he um, strengthens your inner being, he takes up permanent residence, he roots you, he grounds you in love so that you can comprehend what? Comprehend what? Know what? And then this is what he says. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness, the pleroma of God, that people would look at you and they would know that you know God and that God abides in you and that you display the power and the fullness of God. And that's where most of us kind of begin to lock down because we have a belief in God, but we've struggled to see the power of God in our lives. For many of us, we, we desire those things, we think about those, we even pray about those things. But the challenge is, is that so many of us are caught on this component of not being able to understand really what the gospel is about. And Jesus says it this way, you'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you know your Bibles. No, you'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you know the Torah. By the way that you work out your legalism. By the way that you attend church. No, because you'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you what? Love one another. That you'll love one another. And the question is, is love one another in what? And through what? And he goes, love one another with the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. So think about that. What does that mean, the, the breadth? The breadth is that you know the gospel is ultimately has enough breadth and, and it can include any person there is. That God in his infinite wisdom and his knowledge and the surpassing greatness of his salvation can deem whoever it is wants, he can call anybody to salvation on the planet that he would desire. Regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they are, where they're from. Ultimately, that even for an American, that we think that salvation is kind of limited to us. No, that it's free to the Muslim. That, that is free to the Hispanic. That it's free to the African-American. It's free to the Hindu. It's free to anyone who would look to Jesus high and lifted up and that they would proclaim him as the God of the universe and that they would offer, uh, ultimately know that, that salvation is offered through him. They can have salvation. And God can indwell them in the inner man, strengthen them, root them and ground them in love in such a way that they understand the breadth of God's salvation. That the depth of his salvation. 
the length of it. So what's the length of his salvation? That ultimately it's, it's long enough that it continues all the way through eternity. That there's never a point that you fall out of grace or goodness with God. John 10. That ultimately God has you in his hand. That you don't lose or fall out of God's good grace. That ultimately salvation, Ephesians 2, if it's by grace that you've been saved and not of your works, means that you don't lose it because you never earned it in the first place. But that God gave you the gift of salvation, and ultimately you hang on to that, not based on your goodness, but on the goodness of Jesus on the cross. And that's the idea of God's continuation, that it's long enough to last, that it's high enough to take us to the glorious home, that Jesus is going to come back and receive us unto himself. That it's deep enough that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, that Jesus goes, I love you enough that even though you are of the worst of sinners, as Paul says in Romans 7, 18, that salvation is available to me. He goes, when you begin to understand that God dwells in the inner man, that he is taking up permanent residence, he's knocking down all the walls in your life that keep him from being able to, to ultimately fill you with his presence and his glory in such a way that you're rooted and grounded in love that displays God's goodness to the world because you'll be limited in your power. You'll be limited in what you can do. But when the church begins to come alive to the thought that God is big enough, he is strong enough, he is wide enough, long enough, deep enough, and high enough that he can give his grace and his mercy to even the worst of sinners, even in this county, those who are living in drug houses, making and cooking methamphetamines as we speak, that God desires them too. That even those that, that they, they are too hungover to make it this morning, and ultimately right now some of them that are laying with men, even this hour, to fulfill and ultimately bury their pains, that God goes, I want them too. Amen. And if the church would say and wake up out of our slumber to go, we ought to pursue those people too. Because that's the salvation. And when the church begins to realize that the love of God is all-encompassing and then it goes to the depths of the core of the earth and to the heights of the heavens and then it will go to the width of anyone as far as the east and the west, that you and I would begin to pursue people to that end with that vigor, with that grace. He goes, I will do even greater works in your life than I did in those that came before me. Because you think the apostles did great things. Now watch and see a dead man who's dead in their sins come to life in Christ because of your what goodness. Because of the fact that God dwells in your life. Watch a man who is limping around right now in his drug addiction. He is lame and can't walk on his own. Watch me heal him and bring him out of his addiction and out of his bondage, out of his slavery. And help me, watch me put him sure-footed on a firm foundation. Help, watch me root him and ground him with a sure foundation. And I'm going to use you to do that. That's the gospel. That's what he's talking about. He goes, that's what I want to use the church to be a part of. Unfortunately, the church, oftentimes, we've already, we've already hit our, our wall. And I mean, so for so many of us, like we've already shut off most of this message because we're struggling to identify with the latter part of verse 17. I mean, we can't even understand what it looks like to be rooted and grounded in love. I mean, some of us get ticked off when somebody sits in our seat. Heaven forbid we go to two services next week and somebody's sitting in your seat and they don't look like you, they don't act like you, and they don't talk like you. That's the message of the cross, is that there is still room for them. And ultimately, God pursues them, loves them, and desires for them to know the abiding goodness of God in their lives. 
I don't know about you, but that's why the church exists. Because when we understand these things, that God desires to strengthen our inner being, dwell in us by His Spirit, awaken us to His purposes, give us the glory of God, take up residence in such a way that we're rooted and grounded in love, we display that with a heart that loves Him and abides Him to all people, understanding the cross and what that means. Then he goes, look at verse 20, he goes, Now to Him. Because you're filled with, filled with the goodness of God, the pleroma of God, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work in us. Now God can do something with the church. Now we can see God manifest himself in a way that people get some attention. And ultimately that the glory of God is, is being displayed. And the question is, is, okay, why do we desire that? And I don't know about you, um, but if we desire that for reasons that are contrary to the fullness of God, for the glory of God, God's not going to give it to us. And ultimately, it's not going to be lasting, and it's ultimately not going to produce anything that has life. And, and can I just tell you that a lot of people, um, if, I, if I think I'm honest, I think there's many churches in the country right now that are producing something that looks like a man-made religion, and ultimately it seems to demonstrate power, but it's ineffective. And at the end of it, you get to it and it's powerless. Because at the end of the day, it's not about show. It's not about recognition. It's not about, hey, I can do this or I can do that or I have my own prayer language. At the end of the day, Jesus makes it very candid and very clear that I'm not interested in your prayer language if you can't love one another. I'm not interested in your spiritual gimmicks if you aren't rooted and grounded in love. And at the end of the day, they're the pleroma of God's not dwelling in your life. He goes, what I'm interested in is that you are who you say you are wherever it is that you are. Not just in your living room, but in your workplace. I want you to shine brightly like stars in the universe. Why? Because your coworker is not the only one watching, but even the angelic rim is watching. God is watching. Everyone cares. And I want God to do immeasurably more than you could ask or think. And I want him to do it for your glory. No. Look what he says in verse 21. So that to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The reason we allow God to dwell in us, to use us, is for his glory. Can I tell you, if, if we're not careful, we'll get that confused. I think if we're not careful, we can say, hey, listen, can, can you just come? And hey, I want you to come to my church. And hey, I want, to hear, I want you to hear this guy speak. Or hey, I, I, man, our church is really growing. Hey, it's really cool. And if you're not careful, you give people a bunch of gimmicks. And if, I, if I'm really honest with you, I think we finally hit, I think we finally hit the eight-year mark where people know exactly what our church is and what it's not. And so what I mean by that is I think we've moved out of the cool phase. I think we've moved out of the watered-down phase. I think we've moved out. I think, I hope, that people know that when you come here, that you're going to get the word of truth. I pray that people see a man on the stage who is fallible, who is messed up, who is deranged and confused and a sinner apart from Jesus. That I am prone to say something stupid and ask for your forgiveness tomorrow. And the reason why, because that's who I am in my flesh. And because of God and his strength in my inner being day by day, I'm growing. 
I hope, prayerfully, into a pastor that's a little bit more grace-filled and ultimately a little bit more wise than what I was four years ago or eight years ago. I hope that people realize that our church, though we get it wrong often, want to make and reconcile things to make them right. I hope that people recognize that the power in this place ultimately doesn't come from a man or from a group of men, but it comes because God is present in the lives of people here. Which is why we say, church, will you let your light shine? Will you come awake? And here's why. Let me take you back to that fire. You know why I love a fire so much? It's because there's something special about it. That when it's kindled and ultimately it comes, there's a flame that burns brightly. And it's an incredible thing to see. Because people will come in this county uh, on a Friday night from anywhere if there's a big enough fire. Uh, it's crazy. You want to you wanna bring some congestion to your county road, light the biggest fire you know in your pasture, and watch all the rednecks come. <laughs> and here's why they do that. is because there's nothing better to do, right? No, it's because they're intrigued. When something lights up the midnight, midnight sky, they've got to ask themselves, what is that? And I have been with my family multiple times where we're driving home from dinner, and it's, it's late late in the evening, and I'm like, I don't know what that fire is. It's either a house, or it's, it's a bonfire, or it's something. Something just blew up. Uh, but hey, kids, let's go. We're riding. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but I think about the, the famous movie, Filled of Dreams. And you remember what he said uh, to Kevin Costner when he's playing the role. He goes, if you build it, they will now, I think that's a terrible practice within the church in terms of, hey, if you build it, they'll come. Uh, but what I do think that's a really good practice is, is if, if you let your light sh- shine brightly, they'll come. And what I mean by that is one of the greatest things about a fire is the communal aspect, that you can dine together, that you can enjoy fellowship together. I don't know about you, but just sitting around a fire around 10 o'clock at night, um, all my worries just seem to disappear. It's just, as it, I don't know if it's just the kind of the manly thing about us uh, or if that happens to you ladies too, uh, but it's just this idea that God started this little work, this little kindling, and then it just kind of grows. And that's ultimately what God's wanting to produce in us. Because what seemed to start so small, I want it to move from what you think is seemingly insignificant. It's not just about a ride to heaven for free. But he goes, I want you to understand that it's your faith and that your faith is real. And as I strengthen your inner being, as I knock down walls, as I indwell with you with permanence, as I ground you and root you in love, he goes, I pray that your hearts are strengthened and that you'll understand how great my salvation is and how far in it can extend. And then he goes, I want you to go with power and I want you to extend it to all the nations. And you better start with your neighbor. And do more than just invite them to church so they come hear a guy speak. Share the hope of Christ and how he set you free. How he's dwelt in you and how that's changed your life. Give them the opportunity to hear how great a salvation. Why in the world do you bring them to me and let me rob you of the joy of being able to share God's work that he's done in your life with your neighbor or with your friend, with your coworker? 
Listen, guys, you ought to work your pastor out of being able to share his faith. Unless I'm at Snap Fitness sharing my faith with somebody I'm in the gym with, you ought to be sharing your faith and living it out. That's what he's talking about. Stop limiting the power to, that was a really good song at church, and I raised my hands, and emotionally that felt really good for a little while. Let's move past emotions, and let's begin to live out our faith in the presence of the place and the sector where God's put us, and may we let our light shine brightly for the world to see that even the demons run and hide because of the power that's within us. And you're like, I don't know what that's like. Well, know that you're hung up somewhere in the process. And you need to figure it out. And you need to go, God, I need you to move me along because I'm ready to live with power. And if I got to let you clean something else out or I got to learn what it's like to love people that are seemingly unlovable in my life, then God, you need to stretch me and grow me because I want what Apostle Paul had. And I want what Moses had. And I want what some of those other saints had. God, I don't want this to be all there is. Surely, God, there's more than just going to a service, hearing a guy speak. And uh, there's got to be more. Isn't there more, God? Isn't there more? Yes, we should beg for more because God has more for you. Let me pray for us, church. God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith, help us to love you, serve you, be faithful to you. God, help us to shine brightly in our lives. God, dwell in our inner being. I pray you would start with me, clean out anything in my life. God, if there be any grievous, any anxious, any impure way in me, God, would you rid me of it? God, fill me with your power, with your excellencies, with your riches, with your glory, with your splendidness. And not for my glory, not so that people are impressed by me, but so that ultimately people see the God in which changed my life. And that you would set people free as a result of them knowing me. I pray that I would be able to say exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. God, help us to imitate you in such a way that people could follow us as we lead them to you, the source of our freedom, the source of our strength. We love you. God, help us to be the church, the people of God, the hands and feet, the body, ministers, servants of the Most High King. May we let our lights shine brightly for your glory and for our good. Amen.